0: Welcome to It Is What It Is, the podcast, with me, Danielle Bridge. On our show, we catch up with guests to talk about all sorts of things, including our job, mental health, relationships, and basically everything that we humans experience as we navigate through life. In this conversation, Claire Copleston and I discuss the power of social service and dignity. We talk about how caring for people can give us a sense of purpose and how powerful this role can be for all of us. Welcome to It Is it's What It Is podcast with me, Danielle. I've got an amazing guest with me today and a beautiful friend of mine called Claire Copleston, who is currently the mayor of Houghton Regis. But I have known Claire for a very long time in our work in terms of social services and dignity, which is what Claire headed up. So welcome, Claire. It's lovely to see you and have you on the show today.
1: Thank you so
0: much for having me, Danielle. It's an absolute honour. Excellent, thank you. Um, So the reason I wanted to get you on the show is A, you are an avid podcaster yourself, and I've listened to a few of your podcasts, but your story is so inspiring and amazing to me, and I'm sure will be to our listeners. And we're gonna be covering quite a lot today. I know if people that are listening to this podcast know that my aim with podcasting is around breaking down taboos and talking about difficult things, talking about the things that actually impact our lives. And there are so many things that you've done in this field of social care and community and volunteering and dignity and now the current mayor wow what a what a history so first of all it's a bit of a loaded question but social champion i remember years ago when i was looking for some trainers and we was we was talking about people having to, to join us and all this sort of stuff and i came across your details and we had a conversation on the phone and you wheeled off the longest CV I have ever heard in my life, in terms of, in terms of, of of capacity and what you did and experience, and and how 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 did you get into that kind of social care work, Claire?
1: Well, many years ago, I was I found myself taking um, a job in working specialising in dementia care, and I had never worked in dementia or A care home in my life and um basically what led me to that is um previous to that I actually used to be um a hair and makeup artist and I used to all the wedding fairs and things like that but my mum um was diagnosed with cancer and well I used to travel all the time I needed to be more local and I needed to be around you know just in case she needed me so Basically, I took this job and I thought, and, and on the I remember the advert saying, know, oh, it's about managing events and things like that." And I thought, "Yeah, I can do that. That's easy." And um, didn't mention anything about being in a care home or dementia. And I remember went for my interview and it was at um, an office. Not in a care home, like a rented office. And she was like, Oh, yeah, you'll be arranging events and things like that. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I can do this. And my first day, I turned up and I thought, this looks like a care home. Mm. And um, and I walked in and it was, and when I say I was thrown in the deep end, I was really thrown in the deep end. (laughs) I had no experience, no knowledge of you know, dementia or mental health at the time, and to then you know, going to the role of providing person-centred activities um, and care was extremely challenging. Um, But in my true style, up went the sleeves and I threw myself into it. And, you know, I embarked on lots of training courses and things like that. And I can honestly tell you it's one of the best decisions I ever made wow. because I absolutely loved my job so much and we was the first care home to win the dementia accreditation award um, in central Bedfordshire at the time so it's something that I was really really proud of as well and I just kind of grew and developed and my experience um, you know became more and more apparent and you know I just progressed up the ladder um, with my career and I, I just loved it I, I'm passionate about helping people I'm passionate about um, people having choices and treating people with dignity and care and compassion and you know making sure that they're living their best life um, mm-hmm. as best as they're able to so I, I just felt like once I'd settled into the role it was just a natural fit for me and um, yeah so I just Worked my way through health and social care and then I became a trainer later on training all the health and social care staff and then I began teaching at university um, and teaching mental health studies and yeah just I just love I love working with people I love supporting people and I like making those positive changes for me that's that's such a beautiful thing to be able to see
0: absolutely so it's amazing isn't it because you started off hair and makeup and moved directly into social care right and i did a health and social care diploma at school i don't think it was called a diploma gmvq i think it was called at time. <laughs> it's like somebody says gces or something like that isn't it as uh, back in the day back in the day people um and i remember doing this health and social care uh, nvq and realizing that it covers care and people but to be honest with you that was only an option because I didn't do very well in my GCSEs right I didn't go down that academia route and therefore what was open to me was this oh well I'm going to be a nanny or I'm going to work in a care home I'm going to work with old people and it wasn't pushed to me as a as a job that you should be proud of it wasn't ever pushed to me as a job that you would really go for as an option because caring for people is an important role it was oh well you know you didn't get to university so therefore you can go and work in the community and i find it fascinating now especially you know during and after post-pandemic this whole attitude towards care has changed significantly as a result of that right we now know that people are at the very core of everything we do and actually and i think it will happen but do you see perhaps in the future caring for people to be a proper option within our
1: education system I think it's always been a proper option. I think it's just about how it's perceived sometimes by certain individuals. I mean, for instance, when I worked in um, health and social care, I was immensely proud. I knew that I was going to work every day and making a positive difference. And I think as well, the job itself is massively underestimated. Mm. People do not understand how difficult, how challenging it can be. It's really hard work. So when, and I do say this to my students, if you're thinking of going into this role because you think it's going to be an easy role, then there's the door because it's really <laughs> <short. laughs> you not. Know, got some hard graft, and it's you've got to have patience. You've got to have very good listening and communication skills. um There's a massive skill set that you need to take on these roles. And actually, when you look at you know the NHS if you look at a patient coming into hospital with all due respect you know someone comes in they're treated and then they're discharged with a care phone that's lifelong care for a lot of people Mm. so that's that in itself is where the real personalization comes into it and that ongoing care and you know I I worked in end-of-life care and so sometimes you would be working and you know working supporting people um for some time some cases many years and mm. then you you know they're all the way to end of life so you do you, you build up these these bonds for people and anyone that says oh you shouldn't you know get emotionally attached uh oh, i don't understand it's like that it. yeah <laughs> understand it. because you, if you care about the people that you're caring for and you want the best for them um that, that has to come from from caring that has to come from that emotion that's something I can't teach my students it's either there or it isn't mm. it's important to make sure that if you're choosing that as a career option you're doing it for the right reasons and not just an easy option because you're going to have a culture shock it's yeah absolutely
0: easy. yeah absolutely
1: so I know that um in the past you have worked
0: in terms of volunteering and supporting community groups can you tell us a little bit more about your work in the mental health field of serve and providing services what sort of services uh, did you provide
1: so I again go back to that whole um, element of always trying to help people and I've set up many services I've looked at you know I've had the members of the community come to me and say you know due to funding or due to um, lack of services, we don't have the correct mental health services or we've got no groups, we've got no support. And so I've looked at what is the community need, where are the gaps, what is what needs to be done, identify community need, identify individual needs, and I've set up basically what people need um, in terms of support for their mental health. And it can be simple things like just setting up a peer support group um, setting up um, an activities group, um, looking at different ways that you can help to decrease social isolation um, and how to engage people back into meeting others, um, and that's become really apparent during the pandemic. Um, and I think it's just really important that you know when we are looking at supporting individuals that we always make sure that we listen. What are their needs and how do I personalise it to them? You know, how are we going to get the best outcomes for that individual? So it's just always about having really, really good listening skills. And I've done lots of volunteering. You know, I've, I've volunteered on the um, SOS service for many years. So I go out and I do emergency first response service um, and I provide medical emergency Um, help to people that are vulnerable or hurt and
0: you want and so I know you're not going to say it so I'm going to say it for you but you run an award for that didn't you Claire
1: yes I did (laughs) (laughs) tell us a little bit more about that um so I you know I do what I do because I care and because I really want to make that positive difference I never do it for um awards or the recognition because it's like with kindness when you're doing kind things for others, in, in return, you get a sense of fulfillment. And that's, that's more than enough for me. So, you know, that's always kind of such a beautiful development that I do. But um, yes, I did. I received a Queen's Award um, for my bravery for um, stepping in and supporting a, a young male who was severely stabbed to his neck. And I managed to help to keep him alive.
0: You, you kept him alive yeah you absolutely did kept kept him alive and I'm super proud of the work I mean if those of you that are that listening to this so I've been delivering first aid training um, to Claire and her network and, and community volunteers etc for a long time and to hear about that was one of the most amazing things that I've ever heard knowing really? that that you've done something with your training which a lot of people don't right so yeah mm. hats off to you and you absolutely deserve deserve that award. And it's also interesting going back to what you just said a second ago about giving not for gratitude, not for recognition or for awards, but by giving and one of the what five ways to well being is giving right, you know, so how do we gain that feeling of purpose and joy and vision is by giving and so by giving your skills up as a volunteer is one of the ways that you that you get that that immense um, satisfaction I could imagine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even it doesn't have to be these kind of heroic acts of, you know, medical bravery bravery acts. And, you know, many of my evenings have also been spent literally just talking and listening to individuals who are struggling with um, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, mental health difficulties, bereavement, um, you know, multiple um, difficulties. So, you know, it's, it's all about having a diverse skill set in a lot of the work that I do as well, um, which I'm immensely proud of because, you know, when you think of, to me, I don't feel like I do a lot or I might not feel that I can make huge changes, but sometimes when someone comes back to you and says, do you know what, that conversation we had yesterday I was going to, I was going to end my own life. But actually, talking to you changed my whole perspective on things. And you know, you might not realize that at the time when you're talking to the individual, but to hear that and to know that you're giving people hope is just such an amazing thing. So yeah, I just, I just love to see people doing good and, and happy, and try to help.
0: Yeah, and actually talking about that, just listening, and you mentioned it earlier on about that. You know the, the gift of listening, and I know that our listeners will all have heard about the complete atrocities uh, that took place at Grenfell. Um, and I know you obviously, so I know that you had a massive part to play in terms of providing a listening service there for those victims that took place. Are you okay to talk a little bit about that today?
1: Yeah, no, that's fine. So, basically, um, I am trained. A trained mental health practitioner and what I did was um, I was asked if when, when the Grenfell Tower fight happened I was asked if I would um, go down immediately to be on hand and support and just do what I can to help you know the community so I did and that lasted for two years (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) night shift I remember seeing you at night shifts and having meetings in the day and you've just got off of the train coming back from London after providing a listing service to those victims families and friends etc and
1: yeah hard and you know I always for me I know I went through struggles of absolute exhaustion and tiredness and sleep deprivation at its worst and you know but for me that was just that was nothing that was a small price to pay considering what people were going through mm. so you know I met you know some absolute inspirational people and something that's always stuck with me since since the since working with the residents um, of the Grandpa Tower Fire was the enormous amount of strength when that community came together. I have never seen anything like it. You know, that unity of that community was, I just don't think that there's anything that I've ever seen. Mm. And um, it, it, was, it was amazing to see such strength in such difficult and traumatic and devastating times. Um, But the strength of the community is huge and, you know, what an amazing community they are. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, I remember, yeah, watching you go through that. It was really, really tough. But like you said before, you know, it is a tiny price to pay to be able to, to support people and i remember me talking to you about your support network and yeah. trying to maintain your men you know your good mental health and downloading and all that sort of stuff because as you as you know when we work in this sector when you're taking on quite a lot of pain from other people you have to put that somewhere um because it can it can cause us problems you know who supports those that support others yeah and so,
1: it is difficult because You know, when you think about it, you are listening and people are, you know, telling you very traumatic um, things that are being said. And, you know, it's it's, it's just really difficult because, you know, you're taking all that on board. And so, yeah, you, you do have to think about, you know, your own mental health as well.
0: You're listening to It Is What It Is, the podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode as we strive to bring you interesting conversations about the things that really matter. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. But for now, let's get back to that conversation. So yeah, thank you so much for filling us in on your role there at Grenfell. you're also an ambassador and I don't please don't quote me on this because I'm going to ask you to repeat it, but your role in dignity. Tell me a little bit more about that. I know because I didn't know whether it was dignity and care that you work for. Or is it Dignity UK? So tell us a little bit more about your work in dignity. What does it mean?
1: <laughs> OK, so I am so passionate about dignity work and anybody that knows me knows that that I just talk about dignity every day to everybody. and. Um, Yeah, I've got a bit of a reputation for it now. (laughs) But Basically, it started many years ago from working in health and social care because I wanted to look at how do we respect and identify the dignity of the individuals that we care for and support? And what does dignity mean to each individual? And these are conversations that we don't generally have on a day-to-day basis. Um, And actually, I think that it's a really important conversation that needs to be had when you're thinking of personalisation and care. So I started to um, take part in the National Dignity Council when I became a Dignity Champion. And anyone can sign up to become a Dignity Champion. And the work of the Dignity Council is fantastic because the camp, the, the Dignity and Care core values are about having dignity in our hearts our minds and our actions and it's about improving the culture of care services and it's also about placing great emphasis on improving the quality of care and experiences of people within our hospitals our care homes our day centres and within the community so it's got really good um, core values and we look at um, how can we change our actions to preserve a person's dignity and so i got involved with the dignity council became a dignity champion and then a few years ago i actually became a trustee as well so i was really proud of that and you know i i do try to make sure that i promote the work of the national dignity council as much as i possibly can and we work with um thousands of dignity champions in looking at how we can embed that into the culture of our health and social care in our NHS and then on top of that I got involved with um, Global Dignity and Global Dignity is about um, education and dignity for children and young people so you've got the National Dignity Council that predominantly focus on our older adults and then you've got the global dignity campaign that focuses predominantly on our younger generations and just embedding those core dignity values into our younger generations thinking about our actions and how our actions and our spoken words may impact on one another and things like that so I've been doing lots of work around that and I'm extremely proud of of the work that you know we all do um, within both campaigns and for me also I believe that um Every human being has the right to lead a dignified life. And I also believe that we all have a common responsibility and opportunities to strengthen the dignity of others. So it, and it's just simple things. It doesn't need to be complicated. It can be things like, how may I address you? Um, because quite often that can be quite a big thing that impacts on somebody. We make assumptions that we can call somebody, oh, hello, love, hello, darling, or... Um, you know one of the things when I was teaching recently was, um, someone went, Yes, bruv, and I <laughs> thought, is Me, like, yeah, you know, I, I was like, What, yeah, like, let's have a conversation about this. So, um, yeah, it's just about having those conversations and you know, just those fundamental. Kind of human interactions, mm. you know. We just need mm. to think about our actions and how can we preserve dignity within others. You yeah. know, it's such a it's such an individualized thing for everybody, yeah. and I, it has many meanings.
0: Yeah, I remember talking to you once about. When you go to your doctor's surgery, when you go to have a procedure done at the doctor's or hospital, you know, do they take into consideration your dignity? And it's as a woman um and as a man, and you know, however you may identify. But when you go to the hospital, or the doctors, and you are having a procedure done, and there's certain procedures where you are exposed, you know, physically, maybe mentally and emotionally, and does yeah. the doctor, or the practitioner, take into consideration? I remember talking to you about that and thinking. Gosh, i would never even thought about that. You know, you just kind of go and get on with it. But yeah. how do you feel? There is this element of embarrassment or this element of nervousness. And there they can be things that can be done as a result of that. And I now I, I now look, you know, and I look for it. I'm like, OK, yeah. She asked if I wanted a blanket or a covering yes. or, you know, that's really nice. OK, it makes me feel a lot better. So, yeah, you're right. It is, it's embedded in everything it is that, I, that we do in terms of our human interaction. Totally believe in that
1: it's a great thing that you've just said because you're absolutely right and sometimes we don't always recognize or associate these small acts that are going to preserve our dignity because like you said you know if if I went to a doctor's appointment or or to have a procedure and actually um, I'm, I'm feeling vulnerable and actually I wouldn't feel comfortable with a male doctor I would prefer to have a female doctor that's my choice because that's going to help preserve my dignity and support my vulnerabilities and I think it's really important that we are vocal about our choices Mm. and quite often when we're in those positions of vulnerability it's the most hardest time to be able to speak up and and try to ask for those those choices that we have to be respected Um, because we might not feel brave enough or we're too scared or we might feel silly so it's just about knowing what dignity means to you and having the courage and the confidence to be brave and talk about it and ask for you know what you want as your preference
0: excellent yeah it makes total sense so yeah ask for what you want guys all right make it clear because some people are just on their own journeys and that's again you know not necessarily in issue but you know, you've got go ask for what you want okay the final question I have for you today is after all of this wealth of knowledge and experience and this really rich and diverse career in social service, has led you to one of the pinnacles of community <laughs> um, as the mayor, the mayor yeah. of, of, of how, Regis. How did this happen? I know that you've always had, you know, a quite a kind of core uh, sense of of wanting to get involved in community on that political level and I know that you've had your, you've been a councillor as well haven't you before, so how did you become the Mayor of of, uh,
1: Houghton Regis Claire? So through my community work and my mental health work I um, started to as I said earlier put into place um, community services, I was filling those gaps where there was a lack of service and a lack of support um in my kind of day job my profession and and I was making real changes and positive changes for members of the community and people you know kept saying to me you know why don't you be a counsellor because you're putting into place really valuable services and you're doing things in the community all the time and you're making a difference Um, why don't you become a counsellor you you know you could have more opportunity to do a bit more so um I considered it. And then I became a councillor and I thought, well, actually, if I'm putting things into place for the community by myself, imagine what I could achieve if I became a counsellor, You know, so I, I did. I became a councillor and I was really, really shocked and surprised when I got elected in. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a lovely surprise. Um, and yeah, a few years in now, so um, it's my first term. So you do like a four-year term, and um, then recently I became the mayor of Halton Regis. And honestly, I can't tell you how proud I am. You know, to have that role, and I think it's just an honour to be able to serve your community. So it was just a natural fit for me, and and I, I love engaging in in the community anyway. So. You know, it's, it doesn't really feel any different to what I already do in, in one sense. But in another, I just I just think it's such an honour. And, and I'm so so grateful for the opportunity. So and I'm, I'm absolutely loving it as well. Um, and yeah, I picked dignity and kindness as my theme for the year. So I'm championing that um, everywhere I go. And I picked the firefighters charity and SAFA as my two chosen charities. Um, And, yeah, I'm doing lots of fundraising events, raising money for my charities, um, listening to people, taking up opportunities with community groups and projects. and, And it's lovely because you get to see and witness kind of many amazing things that's happening across your community as well. So the whole of the county, you know, here, there, everywhere. And it's just wonderful because what's what I've witnessed over the pandemic is the enormous amount of kindness when you're faced with difficult times how communities come together again I just think is is amazing Mm. you know I've been out during the pandemic um delivering food and supporting neighbours and our vulnerable residents and things so and, and that still continues now so I'd, I'm just loving it, and I really am enjoying it. So
0: yeah, and you and you do get to wear some serious bling as well. That's so what will we see. <laughs> you
1: know what? I, I, I'm really because you know Danielle. I'm actually quite short. I'm um, four foot eleven, and the chains are actually really heavy. <laughs> oh, bless you. <laughs> so I, I predict by the end of my term, I'm going to have quite hence shoulders. <laughs>
0: you do wear them very well
1: though I must admit you do wear them very well I do try and one of the things I really really would love to achieve um during my term in office as mayor is I want to just empower and inspire our younger generations Mm -hmm. particularly our younger females that you can aspire to these roles and responsibilities and these jobs in you know and just just aspire to fulfill the roles that you want to fulfill you know I just think it's so important that we do inspire our younger generations to to know that with hard work with dedication you can achieve anything you know so that's something I really want to do as well and you are doing it
0: absolutely (laughs) smashing it Thank you so much to talk to take the time out to talk to me today. It's been a pleasure catching up and hearing your story kind of in one go. You know, I normally hear little bits and bobs as we've kind of talked over the years, but it's lovely to hear your journey from... You know, doing your your hair and makeup to sitting in in official office to to support your your local community. It's just been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And if you are interested in following Claire and what she does, please do reach out. Claire, where can people find your work? Where can they find you?
1: So you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, and it's at Mayor Claire. Um, so do go along, give me a follow, a like. Um, Send me a message if you want to ask any questions or want to invite me somewhere. I'm more than happy to attend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Thank you so much, you guys. Thanks very much for listening again. And we'll be back very soon.
1: You've been listening to
0: the It Is What It Is podcast, presented by Danielle Bridge and produced by
1: Defresh Productions.